Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Arnas, Sayadar, and Sayadin. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. All right, what's up, fantasy book fans? This is Stephen, your host with Phantology Podcast, along with my lifelong friend Ben, and we have a very special guest. We have Benedict Jaka over across the pond from us, who's been gracious enough to come on the show and talk about his new book, An Inheritance of Magic, and that'll be kind of the first half of the episode. And then we'll get into some Alex Varis spoiler questions. So if you haven't read anything from Benedict, stick around and hear about his new book. And then uh, if you are a big fan, stick around till the end and and uh, maybe get some insights into the series. So Benedict, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. It's fun when we have authors on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me over. It's nice to meet you guys. So we've been reading Alex Ferris over the past few months and actually just finished like earlier this week. Uh, so this is very, uh, this is just prime time for us to be <laughs> chatting with you. Uh, but we also got an advanced copy of An Inheritance of Magic, which comes out October 10th in the States. I think there might be a different release date over in the yeah, UK. It's October the 5th UK, I think, in the rest of the world and 10th for US and Canada. Still still around from usual. Normally my US publishers <laughs> yeah. seem to go out of the way to schedule their release a few days before the U my UK ones. But this time my UK ones got the jump on it for whatever reason. <laughs> Interesting. But uh, let's talk about that a little bit and just kind of like uh, you you as an author a little bit here to start us off. So just introduce yourself to listeners. Uh, tell us how you got started as an author, your journey and uh, and what you write and why people need to uh, read more of Benedict Jaka. Let's see my story, how I got started. That's a really long one. I, I, because I started writing books when I, in 1999, 2000 or so. But I actually got mm -hmm. the Alex Ferris series published in 2012. And an awful lot of stuff happened between the two. Yeah, your author bio is really interesting. At the end of the books, it's like you've done all these different jobs, including bouncer and and uh, <laughs> studied abroad and all these things. Yeah. Yeah, well, originally I was a children's author. That was the first oh. books were children's book, children's fantasy books. Then the first books I had published were children's books. That was in the mid-2000s. And they commercially, they were a complete flop. So my publisher dropped me. And then the next bunch of books I published all got rejected. So it actually, it, by late 2000s, it actually got to the point where I decided that being a, an author was just not going to work out. So I actually hit the point where I gave up. I decided to do a career change, did some thinking and decided to retrain as a lawyer, did something called a GDL, which is like an accelerated one year law conversion course. And I booked for that, went off and did some teaching contracts for a year, went back, got ready to go back to college again. And then I think it was two weeks before I got, I was due to start at my London Law College. I got an email from my agent saying, hey, you know that last manuscript you left with me? Well, we've got this, <laughs> there's this editor at Orbit who says he might be interested. You want to come in for a meeting? Wow. And I, and I did, and they said, Oh, say so. We read your book. Read your book. We kind of like it. We don't think it's good enough to be published right now. But if you rewrote it along about these lines and did X, Y, Z, well, then we still might not publish it. But we kind of we kind of consider it. So, would you be interested? Sounds like a tough decision. Like you're about to start as a lawyer, and you could also pursue your dream as as a writer. Yeah, kind of. But at the same, but from my point of view we won't publish it if we don't like it was where I was anyway. So I wasn't really losing anything. Yeah. It was just a matter of, am I willing to mm. put in the extra time and effort, which mm. I was, although it did mean that all of the first book fated got rewritten while I was doing law coursework at, at the same time, which <laughs> did make things difficult. Well, as somebody that's currently sitting in a law library, 
um, waiting for my second year to start, I can, I, you know, I can sympathize with that. Yeah. So the pattern was for that year was I do all I during the day, I do law lectures and study groups, then come back in the evening and do prep for the next study group the next day. And then usually between around 9 p.m. and 11 p.m. or something, when I when I was done with everything else, then I'd go and do the editing for Fated. And that, and that was my schedule back then. Anyway, I ended up sending it, sending it off and it, it, sending it off, waited for a while, then started it to get some encouraging signs for my agent. And then back in the spring, when I was about halfway through the law course, I went and checked my email to see a message from her saying, so how many books do you envisage in the series? And could you write another book in six months? Six months. Jeez. And everything kind of snowballed from there. Wow. So so how long did you actually like practice law before switching over uh, to full-time authors? I didn't. That was the funny thing because I, I did my law course and then my conversion law course and I was pretty good at it. I, did, I got good got good marks and everything and so on and did well. The thing is, it turns out that doing a law course is nothing compared to actually getting a job in law in the UK afterwards because the ratio of uh, of mm. applicants to law to training mm. places yeah. at law firms you don't even want to know how bad it is and short version was it got to a point wh where uh, after i'd finally finished my qualified and qualified it got to a point where doing law applications was basically its own job just like writing except it was a way more unpleasant job than writing and i wasn't getting paid for it. And at that point, the writing had got to the point where I was getting paid for it. So I decided I'm going to pick, okay, I'm tentatively until something changes, I'm going to pick the job which doesn't make me want to kill myself <laughs> and, it is a, and is actually earning me a living. Well, we're very glad you did because, I mean, Alex Varys is, was an amazing series. So yeah. I, I very nearly well didn't, basically... If the, that Orbit editor, a guy called Darren Nash, hadn't picked up the manuscript back then, I just would have committed fully to the law career and stuck with it. So Alex first wrapped in 2021? So, yeah. yeah, that was a publication date. I finished the book the year before in 2020. And so since then, you've started a, a new series and Inheritance of Magic comes out in October. So I imagine there's been... A, little bit gap here is you've planned out the new series written the first book I, and i think you said you just completed second book so we're well on our way kind of into a new universe so tell people uh, that have read alex Ferris or maybe that haven't like what what can they expect uh, in your new series uh yeah i'm always really bad at doing these kinds of sales <laughs> sales pitches and if i send it off to an editor i usually just kind of hope they're going to read the book and do it for me but i'll do my best <laughs> So it's an urban fantasy series similar to it, the Alex Ferris one, Alex Ferris. It's got a lot of the same elements. The it, There's a hi hidden magical world rather than overt ma magical world. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's some, some mystery investigation. The protagonist's a, a bit of an un underdog and has to have, has to outthink opponents that, a, a fair amount of the danger and action and various differences though one is that the main characters are a fair bit younger this time mm -hmm. with alex alex Varis, he, he was sort of a very experienced journeyman very stroke very young master type he knew most of what there was to know about the magical world so mm -hmm. the, particularly the first few books is kind of alex giving people a bit of a tour of the magical world and explaining the, and explaining things to them since he's pretty knowledgeable about this stuff whenever something comes up he, alex can say oh yeah i know about this this is x y and z and can mm -hmm. explain it to the readers or to luna or to whoever, whoever's around the new series it, the main character steven doesn't know all of this stuff so the readers learn about it at the same time that he does that's what that's one big difference others the magic system works very differently. I wanted to try something that was a mm -hmm. bit different. Yeah. And the magic system grew out of a slightly weird secondary interest of mine, which was I was interested in the e economics of 
a magical world. The whole yeah. concept of scarcity of resources and so on. In Alex Veras, Alex has a shop, but buying and selling and transactions aren't really important. It's just his it's just his day job, and he actually specifically says a couple of times he doesn't particularly need need the money or care about it. The main mm -hmm. thing he likes it for is that it works as a front to get in touch with it, but that puts him in touch with people. With this one. The way magic works, that there are certain elements of it that are very limited resources. There's only so much of it to go around. And the magical and the real world economies are integrated, which means that any of this stuff can be bought with real world money and is bought and sold with real world money, which causes a whole bunch of things to work differently. One of which is that one of which is that the people in control bit are generally just the rich rich people. Yeah, I think that's pretty that's pretty good. Yeah. And and I enjoyed the whole economy part of the magic. And you've even like this is very different from Alex Ferris to the point where you have like at the end of the book, there's a whole glossary of notes of like, you know, here's terms of how the magic works and and here are a bunch of kind of definitions around it. So there are a lot of it's a lot more rule based than Alex Ferris. Where Alex, you had like different types of magic and different abilities associated with each, but in this case, they're pretty like hard and fast. This is how magic works. I hadn't originally planned to do it that way, but the way it ended up working out, the magic system had so many deta details. I figured it probably does actually make sense just to have a expo explanation at the end. I've tried to write the book so that you don't need to yep. need it, but I figure it's still useful because you don't want to write a book such that your the readers need to look stuff stuff up in a gloss a glossary at the end but it's it's just meant to be helpful what i was going for with it was the same as the glossaries in the wheel of time yeah you don't need to read need to read yeah. them but if you're interested in the series you are going to read them and you'll find out little things as a result yeah or sanderson does kind of similar things with his ours arcanum yeah. at the end and i enjoy those i think it's fun to just get like um, you know the textbook version of uh, yeah. well, the, the, maybe the, a small textbook version of what's going on. Yeah, pretty much. I was gonna say it also seems like one small difference is that inheritance of magic seems like it's less of a inherited magic system. Like with Alex, you you basically have to be born a mage in order to use magic, right? Whereas I'm not quite sure how the mechanics work, but it seems more if you can afford the magic, then you can use it. Um, pretty much yeah. inheritance of magic. One of the influences on with Alex Veris, it was magic is the inherent gift thing where you're either mm -hmm. either major yeah. an addict or you're not, and there's not very much anyone can do the change that. With inheritance of magic, one of the influences I had on it was Shadowrun. I don't know if you guys have ever played the game or you're familiar with that. Do you, do you mm -hmm. know? No, I don't. No. no, it's a well, it's a sort of science fiction cyberpunk thing where oh. where it's futuristic dystopia with mega corporations ruling everything except you also have elves and dwarves and orcs and magic and stuff okay don't tr don't try and <laughs> sense it. It, it it's very much uh we're just gonna have these things together and this is just how it works that yep. sort of uh -huh. setting but one of the things that has is, is you have you have all of these magical things rolling around and you also have corporations running everything. So you have things like cyberware and bioware and body modifications. And the way people get them is they just go to the local outlet branch of a corporation or whatever, and they buy it. And they're very clearly defines prices for all these things, where if you want mm. like times 1.5 boosted reflexes, it costs this much. If you want mm. times two boosted reflexes, it's like, five times as much this much if you want three times boosted reflexes you'd better really be rich because the price goes up to this much and so, yeah and so on for every possible body enhancement and and cyberware enhancement or body re body replacement and so on there's a it, it, there's an exact price tag for it and that was what that was one of the instances here where instead of instead of cyberware and bioware and body modifications it's, it's signals that give you abilities but it's the same mm -hmm. sort of idea and that there is literally a catalog that you can order this stuff out of yeah i, I really liked it because it it makes me feel like with, with most fantasy books i'm reading about the magic system like well that's like i can't actually do that though but for some reason with inheritance magic i'm like 
huh, that would be cool to just be able to, like, I could actually envision myself doing that, you know? And so I thought it was, it was maybe one of the first times I actually felt like that during a, during a fantasy book. So I, I appreciated that aspect of it. Yeah, I, I could, I totally see like the RPG elements that you're describing. And I also got like big kind of superhero origin story type vibes through the first book where we have this character's down on his luck and he's, and he uncovers his ability and slowly levels up and has a series of different, uh, you know, conflicts that go his way or don't go his way. And, and I, I really enjoyed that because I, I can't think of too many other books that give me that like origin story superhero mm-hmm. vibe. For some reason, for some reason, this was very superhero for me. I don't know. Maybe I've been watching a lot of Marvel stuff or something. But <laughs> the bigger influence on it was the subgenre that they call progression fantasy. I don't right. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the cradle of Will, books. Will Wright's yeah. Cradle series. It's a, it's a, that sort of thing. It's definitely mm-hmm. it's definitely got roots in the superhero genre as well, but it's there's less there's less of a sudden change from first you're ordinary and then you're a superhero and more of a gradual leveling up and climb so this is another first person um after alex ferris which was which was 12 and i guess 12 and a half books of first person so did you consider switching it or do you enjoy first person or what was some of the thoughts there I did consider it. I, try, I actually tried doing a third person story in between. I did a novella that was third person instead of first person. Is that is that the other? We haven't read the Alex Ferris novella yet. Is that is that what there, you're referring there to? There are two of them. There's, there's an old one called Favors that came out before Risen. And then there's one called Gardens that came out after Risen. And, okay. and the second one, that one, Gardens, is the one, one I'm talking about. That one's third person. So I got to give it a try. And yeah, it worked fine. Honestly, I got the feeling that I wasn't really missing it, missing much, and mm-hmm. and I might as well stick with first person since I could do the mm-hmm. same sorts of things, and I liked it. Yeah. Third person does have some advantages in that you get to juggle multiple uh, different uh, different points of view, but sure. I quite like the style of story that just folk follows a single protagonist. I think some authors they like to do th- do things that epic fantasy or the, the thing that epic fantasy authors do where you'll have a main set of anywhere up to five-ish main characters and they're following all of their stories at the same time but i tend to i think i tend to prefer the more ones that are just focused on one person so first person's a natural choice for that because if you're just doing the entire thing following one person anyway you might as well show it from inside their head yeah it definitely makes it one more bingeable, right? I've, I mean, I binge most of Alex Ferris in, in a few months. And then I think it also makes, it, it allows you to be able to have smaller, smaller scale conflicts that still seem super important because you're experiencing it through the eyes of the protagonist, which I feel works really well for a character like Steven in Inherited to Magic. It, it, it makes it so that we can really kind of get behind his causes and root for him. Um, whereas like, Maybe if it was third person, I wouldn't care as much about those things. So I, I think that it was a good call to stick with first person for um for inheritance. It also might just be a I'm sticking with what works approach because yeah. the Alex Varus was my big break and that was first person. And the a lot of the previous I think all of the previous books manuscripts I wrote that either didn't get published or weren't particularly successful were third person. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's an indication there in the data, I guess. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'm just, I'm just, so part of it is just me sticking with what I've had success with. So as an author, uh, I, we've kind of talked to the, about this, but was there anything that was really different between uh, Alex Ferris and Stephen Oakwood or things that were more challenging or less challenging? You mean about writing? Yeah. One really big difference is that for this one, I've actually planned out the series much more from the beginning with mm-hmm. Alex Ferris. I think Stephen, I think you might you read the author commentaries on my site. Side. I yes. remember one one of you guys read. Yeah, I did. Content. Yeah, you have a lot of uh, kind of bonus content on your site. It's cool. Anyway, so you'll know that with the Alex Varys series, I didn't plan it out in advance because I didn't plan it out to be a series at all. There was just mm-hmm. the first book, which was. Mm-hmm. X number X in a long line of manuscripts, all the previous ones of which have been rejected. And this one was probably going to get rejected too. And then books two and three, Cursed and Taken, were 
okay, these are books two and three in a contract for books one, two, and three. Hmm. So my publishers have committed to publishing three books. There is no promise at all, no guarantee at all that it's going to go beyond three books. So it was only after I'd written all the first three books and then got a contract for two more books after that, that I started seriously think, thinking, okay, let's plan, let's start planning how this is going to go in, in, in the long run. With the, whereas with this one, the Inheritance series, I did plan it out to be a series from the beginning. So there's a, a lot more uh, different balls I'm juggling, I guess. Different, mm-hmm. There are several different storylines that I had planned out from the beginning that, that, are, that are all running. So I guess uh, without giving us any spoilers for this series, <laughs> like what are we expecting as far as uh, length or uh, like what, what are your kind of your like high level of visions for where you're, you're hoping the series goes for length if i had to guess i'd say probably something similar to the acts first length maybe about 12 ish books mm-hmm. that's just okay. kind of plucked out of thin, thin air though i don't know if that's how it'll, how it'll work in practice also, also that does depend on it actually being successful it might be that everyone's going to hate it and, and it'll crash at which point i'll just have to give up on it and do something else <laughs> i don't think yeah. that's true i i've been recommending the Alex Ferry series far and wide since I, you know, got about halfway through it and we've, uh, you know, been urging people to buy inheritance when it comes out. So from our perspective, I think it's going to be a big hit. I, I hope so. I've done, I've done, I've really done my best with this. I put a ton of effort and work into it. So it's going to be pretty crushing if it doesn't succeed, but eh, you never know. Yeah. But I have actually, I, I have actually dealt with the whole, book series failing before things mm. so while it would really really suck for me to spend x many years on this new one and for it to be a, be a failure i've survived it once so i can survive it again mm. gotcha and as far as urban fantasy goes like there's not a ton of big long urban fantasy series that i've really really enjoyed like dresden files is kind of the one that i think people point to as like this is the the most popular urban fantasy out there but uh Alex Ferris is is right there with it for me. Oh, that's good to know. It's an, Alex Ferris isn't right up there in the top ten, but I think it probably makes the top twenty or so. That there was a site I used to hmm. that used to run a most popular urban fantasy authors thing thing. Can't remember the can't remember the name name at this at this point. But based on just sales data and popularity and so. So um, I used to fairly consistently rank in between number 10 and number 20. So that's pretty good. I'm happy with that. That's really good. Yeah. Speaking of Dresden, was that somewhat of an influence for you? Like your books have the, have the quote from Jim Butcher and there's the call out in the first book. And yeah, it, it was an influence, but not as big a one as people tend to think. I think at one point I actually made a list of all the things that influenced the, the series. I had some vague idea of using that as some kind of quiz promotion thing. Uh, I'd do a thing where I'd challenge all of my readers to guess it, and I'd give them points based on how many of the numbers they got and based on how close they got to the top 10 list and give some sort of prize to whoever got, mm. the, got the best one. And I think I ranked Dresden's like number three or four. can't remember which. Ah, interesting. That fits actually pretty well. Yeah, it w- it was an influence, but it wasn't the the biggest influence. And I think the things that influenced it, where Dresden did influence Alex Ferris, aren't the things that most people think influenced it. Well, that's interesting. Now, now we need to know, like, what are what are uh, influences one and two at least? <laughs> I've mostly kept those ones those ones quiet. The I, because I like to see if people will guess them. And I have actually had people guess influences one, two, one, two, and three, but very few of them. It's like obscure corners of the internet type thing. I like every now and again, I'll do a Google search for Alex Varis. And every now and again, I'll find just one person on some random message board somewhere putting in a comment thing. I, th- I think it was based influenced by this thing because this thing feels just like it. And and I've read it and gone, huh, yeah, he got it exactly right. But there were only like, I've had that. I've seen that about like three times in all of the years. Interesting. It's definitely right. guessable, but it's obscure <laughs> enough that very few people guess it. Oh man! Was it, no, no. Okay, now I want to make a guess. Not for Alex Ferris, but for Inheritance of Magic. 
Were there any Name of the Wind influences on your new book? No. No, I read the Name of Name of the Wind and Wise Man's Fear a long, long time ago. And while I did find them interesting, interesting, they didn't really stick with me. Didn't make it any mention. Yeah, Stephen, were you kind of referring to the the focus on money, like the like yeah, of, yeah, yeah. uh huh. His kind of situation where he's always fighting to keep his head above water with his bills. So that that just reminded me a lot of Quoth in Name of the Wind. No, the Name of the Wind is while it's what Name of the Wind and Wise Man's Fear, while they do focus a lot on money, it's all it's college student trying to pay, pay his tuition. Yeah, right. Type money, money issues. Which, yeah, and this is just which, like trying that, to survive. Yeah, and that's definitely not the direction I went in with the Stephen Oakwood story. Uh, had to try. Had to try. <laughs> <laughs> Name of the wind is not obscure enough, Stephen. Come on. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> okay, let's let's talk about your characters a little bit. So, um, how, what's your approach to writing characters to make them believable? Like, I guess with Stephen and Alex are your two main focuses like are you just pulling different aspects of their personality from your personal life or from things you see around you or what's your process a lot of uh my personal life's one look at one of the common things i think like a lot of authors i just use my my own life as a reference as a material source so one of the most common things that tends to come up is experiences i've had i'll just pull in and use like a a lot of Stephen's work experience. Some of the stuff from that oh. is from stuff I've done in the past. Think things like his past as a boxer is is based off. Well, I studied that for a while. Yeah, I and thought that, that that that's kind of a similarity between Alex and Stephen. So I thought there may be something from your life in that. Yeah, I'm a sort of martial arts hobbyist, and I've done a few different ones. So in, that tended to feed through. In the case. In the case of Alex, he doesn't have any one style in particular. In in Stephen's case, I made him specifically a boxer. I did that for a year or two back in my twenties. As you write, what what aspects of writing do you enjoy? Do you feel your strong suits? What's more challenging for you? I know, to be honest, with regard to strong suits, I tend to just let readers figure that out. The way I see it is, I do my best with everything, but I don't know what I am best at. And I figure in a way it doesn't matter whether I know what I'm best at or not doesn't matter that much. I do. Yep. It's something I just leave for readers to decide. Mm. Some some people consistently say I'm I'm good at some things, so I guess I'll take the, take their word <laughs> for it. But it's not something that I'm. I don't feel like I'm particularly good at one thing or another. Put it that way. Were there any specific characters in Alex Ferris that? were just like really natural for you to get in their heads and write their parts and others that were a little bit, you know, took more revisions or. Yeah. Like Alex was always easy to write. I got the hang of Mm -hmm. him very early on. The one I got most comfortable with writing later on is, was Luna. And that was kind of interesting because to begin with Luna was one I really had trouble with in book one uh, and part of book two. I had a, I struggled a lot writing her. Then somewhere around book two, something sort of clicked. And by the time, and from about book three, four onwards, Luna became one of my favorite characters to write and the one I could do most easily and most naturally. So both Alex and, and Luna were easy. One who was always difficult, though, who I never really got completely comfortable with was Anne. Oh, interesting. I always, I always found her very difficult to to get right that's interesting you say that because i i think Anne was probably my favorite character throughout the series and i think that part of that comes with the almost like mystery or shroud around her right where i think as a character you're not really sure what to make of her so maybe maybe that just kind of played it like fed into that because i don't know i feel like that was almost part of her character was that we're always kind of like on our toes around her although we're not sure why you know (laughs) But this is the kind of thing I mean about I'm not I'm not exactly sure what I'm good at, because yeah. because yeah. I, I would never have guessed that Anne was your your favorite character. From what you're saying, <laughs> well, I think favorite like I it's just she's a very unique. So I'm actually just listen. I just do my best, and then I listen to what people's feedback is. Probably a good strategy. <laughs> Feels like we're kind of shifting into Alex Harris, uh spoiler territory, 
And when, uh, we've, co- we've covered a lot of other things. So let's uh, shift. So now listeners, like if you haven't read Alex Varish yet, we're going to talk more directly. You should read it. You should read yeah. it. Go on and you know get the first book right now. First of all, go check it out. And then uh, once you've read it for a few months, come back and listen to the second half of this interview. Uh, okay, so let's talk about Alex Varis. And I think we're going to immediately start talking about uh, Risen and, and the end of the series, since that's top of our minds. So, uh, <laughs> and we do have a few questions from friends on Discord who we asked to uh, submit questions for you that also have read the series. So uh, one of them here, I'll just kind of read this out. So in book 12, after Alex dies, quote unquote, there is the kind of the breaking of the fourth wall moment. Um, and so the questions around that, like what your thoughts were and in including that um, as it's kind of a different feel, um, did you, did, was that always part of the plan? Did that just feel natural? Um, what where did that come neither from? That, neither. That was just purely me having fun and me trolling <laughs> readers a little bit. Just okay. a, an awful lot of readers would would we have read the last chapter and be like, oh, so tell us what happens. Oh, come on. You're not going to end it like that, are you? Uh-huh. See, I have I have such a massive bone to pick with you then because that was just purely me. That was just purely me, me saying, "Hey, okay, you can stop reading now. I'm sure you totally don't want to know anything else, right?" Right? <laughs> okay, because I actually it was like one in the morning when I was finishing reading, and I because I couldn't put the book down, right? And so after that scene, I did put the book down, and I was like, "I just need to sleep on this and process this death a little bit because I just want to like." get on board with it before I see like Luna in her shop or whatever. And so I went probably like 12 hours with thinking <laughs> that Alex was just dead. And I, <laughs> so anyway, I, I experienced that ending or that trolling with like so much impact on me. So I'm still, I'm still kind of reeling from it. So mission accomplished, Ben. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but yeah, that was just me having a bit of fun after the entire series series was basically over since I was feeling fairly lighthearted at that point. Going into the book, we had speculated, will he survive? Will he die? What's going to happen? Honestly, I think, did we have any solid predictions? Like, I think you said I, ben, I had predicted thought, he would die. Yeah. Okay. And I thought he was going to survive, but I kind of wanted him to die because at that point I was feeling like it was appropriate. But I guess in book 12, he kind of, yeah. I Honestly, I think either way would have been okay with me. Did you, did you debate between, I know on your site, you have like a whole series of essays about ending series and different things that could have happened, but just like, rather than the super dark ending or the super happy ending, did you debate just that one difference of Alex living or surviving? Uh, No, not really. It's that series lays out the whole reasoning in detail, but basically the the other poss- all of the other possible en- endings, I did con- consider them and rejected them all for re- very decisively for very definite reasons. Basically, mm-hmm. having the book en- end in either of those ways would really have changed the tone a lot. Yeah, that makes. Sense. I feel like the tone was kind of going darker in the like in Fallen, and so I think that it could have matched, but. I, I'm happy that it ended the way it did because I think overall. I mean, honestly, I think the series was dark enough already. It didn't need. To yeah. Have, okay, that's fair. And, yeah. and then the main character dies, and things get even worse afterwards. Ending. Uh-huh. I really did not want to do that. Yeah, that that definitely would have been another layer of darkness to have the main character die. Then, then you're getting into like George R. R. Martin and Abercrombie territory a little bit. <laughs> Especially because if he had died at the ending, you just wouldn't have been able to see like Anne and Luna process it appropriately, right? Because they would have just been devastated. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've read the the sort of alternate ending series, but the most likely ending I could think of if, with Alex dying was that things things end up getting getting even worse. worse. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Because while Luna and Varian would have been okay, the effect on Anne, the effect on Anne would have been absolutely devastating. Yeah, and yeah. she really would not have recovered from that. That's yeah. true. I guess you can't just say in a vacuum. What if Alex lived or died? There would have been so many other things that fell out from that. That makes sense. Let's see another question here. 
if you were to write the series again, would it be less, more, or same amount of books? Um, probably slightly fewer books. Looking back on it with hindsight, I think it had maybe a, a couple more books than it needed to. And I'm guessing that that stemmed because you kind of developed your outline for the series as you went. So I'm assuming that's yeah. where that came from. Pretty much. I mean, to begin with, there are a couple. To begin with, the series had a lot more of a weekly episode feel to it. Yeah. Books two, books two and three were meant to be sort of semi self contained. And it was only after that that I started tying everything into a into a larger story that's kind of yeah that's kind of rough though because i feel like there there is a place for episodic books you know what i mean i feel like that is part of what gives series like these this charm you know where where you can like have that and then it develops into a whole like overarching plot yeah. as well no i think the, i mean the episodic things at the beginning could have put, could have worked main thing i would change is there's a, a bit around the, the middle book six wasn't I think book six, book six veiled works fine as a standalone, but it doesn't fit into the larger series well it, because it doesn't move the plot forward enough. I'm trying to remember. We read these so quickly. Uh, yeah. Give us the quick recap on veiled. <laughs> veiled is the one which is sort of like Alex Veris crossed with police procedural, where Alex is working with oh Calder right, and, oh, yeah, yeah. and dealing with the whole the whole child prostitution. Right, service. right, yeah. While it works, I think while it does work as its own story, the, it doesn't advance the, the main overplot line enough. the The issue with it, the issue with it, is that you can, when you're reading the series beginning to end, you could largely skip that book, and mm. you wouldn't actually miss that much. Mm. With hindsight, that probably meant that it didn't really need to be there. I could have found a much more economical way of doing the same thing. Interesting. Mm. I think that might have been the book where I really started to enjoy caldera though me i don't yeah. know yeah well interestingly at the time people didn't re didn't seem to find that caldera to be interesting oh really yeah there's something i was a bit disappointed by actually when i first designed the character i put quite a lot of sort of love, oh, yeah, love, I really and, like yeah. love and care and attention into working out, out her personality and so on but then the first the book the books with you know, the books came out and i got and i read like a couple of hundred Goodreads reviews and there was oh, that's dangerous <laughs> and there was basically zero reaction to her and my action was like eh, wow. okay I guess be I guess she doesn't she isn't really striking a chord with anybody which is kind of kind of funny because then much later once Calder becomes Alex's enemy all of a sudden everyone was talking about her okay oh now you like her no. <laughs> Yeah, that's that was kind of one of my burning questions. Was it's a very bold decision not to have Alex reconcile with like Caldera and Sonder. And I think that you know, I I really enjoyed the the, the fact that that happened, but it was tough to read because the whole time you're just rooting for them to reconcile. And I was uh, I was honestly surprised that people were expecting it to happen in the first place because I I'd gone to quite a lot of effort to show that what they believed really just did not match did not yeah. match the kind of thing Alex was doing like particularly in the case of particularly with Caldera there is zero way she could possibly be on Alex's side by the yeah. end like her loyalties are the law the keepers and the light council yeah she's very and like Alex, yeah and yeah. Alex is and Alex is against all three of those things <laughs> It's not like there's some sort of conflict going on where where it's the lawful versus good thing. It's yeah. every single thing that Caldera believes in is something that Alex is on the wrong side of. Yeah, I think that that's what is hard for, I think, me as a reader, because you want to believe that as long as people are following their own like ethics and moral compass, that everybody can get along. And that's just like it's it's a hard pill to swallow that that's not the case. Yeah, and that's just really not the case. You can get you can yeah. get situations like that where people just have such completely incompatible beliefs and incompatible goals that there's no way they're going to get on. Yeah. The only way Alex and Caldera could have reconciled would was if Alex was able to make that peace treaty with the council. Yeah, and the and the council just specifically ordered Caldera. Okay, he's off the most wanted list. You are officially forbidden from going after him anymore. That's it. We're drawing a line up, and that would have ended it. But 
she still wouldn't have liked him afterwards. She still would not have been on his side. Yeah. And I mean, we saw that Caldera, what, she wasn't even willing to let, let it go, you know, when he was found innocent or whatever. She she was still the one to kind of mm-hmm. right. dig up the dirty past, you know. Well, it's a thing because it's the thing. And there was something that interested me because she thought that he was lying and that she and that he had committed some crimes and was covering it up. And she was completely right. Yeah. Yeah. A similar story with Sonder too. Right. But he, it was more with him as more just almost a fear-based thing, which I think w- was laid from the very beginning of his character too. You know, he was a little bit too afraid to get his hands dirty. So, but those two, yeah, those two characters were, were very well done in my opinion. Well, I'm glad you liked them. I sort of re- revisited them a bit in the first of the novellas I did, uh, Favors, because that was a Calder and Sonder one, where the plot line is that Sonder comes back to London after having worked in America for a bit and oh. gets called in on it on a case assisting Caldera. And that was basically an opportunity to develop the two yeah. characters a bit. Yeah, we know read those. We haven't had yeah. much time after <laughs> after finishing. I guess I haven't done the novellas yet. But it, but it was sort of a but that was sort of interesting because it because re, it, it was re, I released it before Risen. So I did find it kind of interesting to think that people were going to read that before <laughs> finding out what happens to those two characters in, in book 12. Yeah. Speaking of side stories and side characters, uh, another side character, kind of like third tier character that I really enjoyed was Landis. Do you have mm-hmm. any, uh, are we ever going to get a like spin-off story or anything from his past? Cause going to he... I did actually have a, what I was actually planning this year after i was done with inheritance of magic 2 to do a novella with starring varium and landis and i I got as far as working out the general plot and story the trouble is i'm not going to have time to do it because inheritance of magic 2 overran and now i'm going to have to jump straight straight into book three and focus Mm. focus on on the to-do list at some point uh novella with with landis is one of the main characters but i don't know when i'll get around to it Nice call, Stephen. That yeah, I I would I would appreciate that with maybe a sprinkling of G Young. I don't know <laughs> if I'm saying that right, but um, you know, we got we got a little hint of that in the final chapter okay, too. Yeah, I, that one though, that one I have no idea where that's going to go. Oh man, okay. <laughs> the the novella I was thinking, the novella I've got planned is one which is basically revolves around Varium first meeting Landis and the whole uh, sequence that leads varying to decide to sign up as landis's apprentice in the first place since that was something that never got at all covered or explained in in the books so this is way before jiung comes into the picture i have no idea how the whole thing with jiung and landis will turn out that was just a completely random thing I threw <laughs> you yes. hold the power of readers hearts in your in your hands when you're just <laughs> writing lines like that you know <laughs> uh, another question here so on your website you have a long-running ask luna q a how did that come about? And are you planning on doing anything similar for the Inheritance of Magic series? How it came about, I think with the where I got the idea for it was from some of the web comics I read. I followed a whole bunch of web comics through the two through the, the 2000s, 2000 to 2010. That was kind of the big heyday of, of internet comics. And there was this fun period, fun period where people were trying all kinds of random stuff. And one of the things they would occasionally do was have these fourth wall breaking things where characters from the web comics would answer letters from the readers and mm-hmm. just addressing the audience directly. I always found them kind of entertaining, so I decided to do a ver- think of uh, to do a version of that for Alex Ferris just for fun. I don't know if I'll do it with Stephen. There isn't really a character who would be an obvious fit for it, mm-hmm. since Stephen's closest companion is his is his cat so having letters addressed to the cat would be a little <laughs> difficult like dear hobbs do you what do you think about x y and z meow 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 maybe maybe a si- si- sigil in the future some kind of sigil makes this possible who knows <laughs> so so you saying that you enjoy comics is hobbs now a reference to calvin and hobbs or no he's that's what du- i assumed he's okay. a dual reference to hobbs from calvin and Hobbes. Hobbes, but also the person that Hobbes was that Hobbes was named after. Oh, well, Hobbes there. didn't get Hobbes didn't get his name from nowhere. 
you named after Thomas uh, Hobbes, old, right? Old, yeah, old philosopher Thomas Hobbes. Oh, there you go. Another layer of philosophy. You, I, I'm guessing your background um, with philosophy is where the uh, those bits come in in inheritance. Yeah, kind of. It's not the kind of stuff that I ever covered in a philosophy degree, but it probably does relate in. Okay, wait. I want to jump back into yeah, Alex Ferris. Oh, yeah. You have another question? No, I, I was going to flip back to our questions. So this one reads: Over the course of a series, one-off characters that are thrown in because you need someone sometimes morph into main characters. Was this the case in anything in Alex Varis? And uh, which were you most happy about, if at all? Yeah, basically all of them. None of the characters, <laughs> none of the none of the long-running characters apart from Alex and Luna, were intended to be long-running characters. It was always a case really? of wow. like, chuck it at the wall and see what sticks. Like mm-hmm. a, like Arachne, for instance, was never planned out. She was ju- oh. just a completely random thing I threw in and decided it worked. Anne and Varium, for instance, were just completely random additions that I made up for book three. They were characters from an old book that I wrote a few years prior to that, I just needed a couple of Mage Apprentice characters and decided, okay, I'll pick these two and chuck them in. Interesting. They ended up working and I ended up keeping them around. But but there were no long-term plans at the time. And then the same thing happens in reverse. There were quite a lot of one-off characters that I chucked in that I didn't really, that I just dropped. So here's here's my fan theory question. Feel free to... (laughs) Okay, this is like, I don't know if it would ever work, but since you brought up Arachne, my theory was that Alex could use the Fate Weaver to walk down one specific path long enough that he encounters Arachne again. Would you don't have to say if that like is planned or it, but would that work? And really Uh, wants another. I really want. I love Arachne. I thought that was such a cool duo, but. Basically, with just divination, it would be impossible. I guess with the Fate Weaver as well, it might work. He'd pretty much have he'd have to kind of invent something new just uh, just to get that functioning. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's my hope. That's my you know <laughs> that's my fan um, fan theory right there. So, were there any parts of the series you were surprised when fan reaction didn't line up with yours, or things people loved or hated? I guess we kind of talked about Caldera as one example of that. Anything else? I'm guessing people love Hermes. That's probably a yeah. given. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Hermes, Hermes is very popular. I know when he stepped in front of Richard, I was like, "You better not, you better not touch him. <laughs> like, just leave, leave Hermes alone." But um, people were way more interested in Richard's background and magic type than I'd expected them to be. Yeah, we spent a fair amount of time talking about that. Like people spent a lot, readers spent a lot of time theorizing about his magic, Richard's magic type. And even after that finally got answered, that just transitioned into wanting asking about his origins, his origins and his goals and what he'd been doing in those years where he was away and his mm-hmm. whole sort of origins origin story and and yada yada yada. That really did flummox me a bit because they they came up with they they were just asking for way more detail than <laughs> i'd originally uh-huh. figured out i did have an idea of what he'd been doing and uh-huh. what he wanted and so on but i was really not expecting the, the the fact that they'd laser focused on him to such a degree i guess part of it is the whole sort of mystery box thing because alex doesn't uh-huh. Therefore, the readers don't know it. So they all, readers all sort of assume that there must be some big significance to it. Yeah. This actually gets at a question, a little bit of a discussion Ben and I had in our review of Risen that we recorded a few days ago. At what point did Rachel get uh, a gin? Like, at what point was that? Did that happen? Did that, was that before or after Richard like went through the portal? It it happened. It's the th- scene Alex sees in that flashback back in book four in Chosen. Okay, the same that, moment she kills Shireen. I get thank okay. you. That was my that was my assumption, Stephen. Yeah. Jeez, <laughs> making me doubt myself. Uh huh. <laughs> that makes sense. Basically, Rachel to, was the sort. Rachel was the sort of prototype for Richard's experiment mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. get in getting Jin to possess humans, and it only sort of kind of worked 
Oh man, that means that like Rachel's almost like a foil for Anne then. Yeah, and specifically she's the she's the in she's the initial version that Richard thinks of as a sort of partially successful, partially failed experiment. Not wow. bad, but I can do better for the next. Okay, okay. That's cool. Okay, last question that this one's for me. How much research in the London in the London setting do you do? Like are you going to these places and kind of getting the lay of the land and then writing out scenes because you have a lot of scenes in different places around London. Sometimes uh, sometimes I go to them. Quite often, these are places that I already know well enough that I don't really need to go to them. But if it's Mm. some place that I've visited before, but I don't have a perfect memory of, then I'll often go there. Like for Mm. Risen, I went, like, no, not for Risen. For Fallen, I went to around the area around Canary Wharf when I was scouting that out for the fight Mm. scene around there for forged it was heron tower yeah poked poked around the streets there took a took a pasted out took a look at the sizing and so on with kind of which one it was burned maybe whichever one had that meeting in the barbican i remember skating over there and doing a few loops around around it and, and and stuff like that I'll do it sometimes, but since I've grown up and lived my whole life in London, I can I usually have some sort of memory of the area mm-hmm. area in question, even if it's not perfect, good enough to go off. Nice. I really enjoyed that aspect because earlier this year I I came over as a tourist and saw a lot of these places, but it was it was before I'd read most of the books. So then uh, when I came back and read <laughs> the books, I was like, ah, oh, should have poked around, should have poked around a little bit more in the uh, in the war museums. <laughs> One that I did very specifically visit to do the research for was was for Fated, the British Museum. I remember specifically going up and mm. down that huge circular staircase in the, in the main right. lobby oh, and, cool. and thinking, oh, yeah, this would work really well. When I was there, there was a strike all week and I couldn't go to the British <laughs> Museum. <laughs> it's a huge bummer. I'll have to visit next time. And But that makes sense because you describe like, the layout of the museum pretty in depth in that book. Yeah. Same with, I think one of my favorite action sequences was the, was the tower one. So if it's ever made into a series, into like TV show, I would be very much looking forward to that. I'd I'd love it too, but yeah, there've been various people who've, who've expressed some interest in doing a TV adaption, but it never really turns into anything. It's incredibly difficult to actually get something made as a TV series until it's famous yeah that you don't need it to be made into a TV series. <laughs> Especially it's nowadays. I'm sure it's very difficult to get anything made into TV. <laughs> yeah. Although one does wonder sometimes, given the kind of stuff that, that gets, gets put out. Yeah, right. The, the trouble okay. is, it's all, the trouble is you get all, it's all stuff that is the favorites of whoever the, whoever the current crop of people in Hollywood are. Yeah. So you get some things getting it, some things that get done to death over and over and over again, but not so well-known book series tend to languish a bit. Yeah, and then you you still have the question of if it's going to be true to the books. I mean, I don't know if you watch any of the Dresden TV show come that came out, but yeah, I mean that one was uh, that one was uh, f- famous, and I don't know. It's uh, honestly as as regards TV adaptions, my feelings have shifted on it a lot because I was uh, I grew up in the. 80s and 90s and uh-huh. that was the days before there were really many fancy adaptions and what and some and back then and my uh, me and my friends w- would talk about yeah we, we have all these book series and they, they never get turned into anything it would be going to be so awesome if our favorite book series could get turned into a tv series in the movie yeah that would be awesome it's really annoying that this never seems to happen and now i'm at this age all of my all of the stuff <laughs> I read and loved yeah. back in the eighties and nineties has been has been and is being turned into adaptions. And my rea- and and my reaction is, you know what? I've changed my mind. <laughs> just <laughs> leave it. Yeah. Just just leave it. Please stop. Please stop doing these. Maybe <laughs> wait until. Could we just like wait another twenty years for the current crop of Hollywood writers to get to. Move out, get a place with a new one or something, because I don't really want to keep on seeing this. That's that's a, a I can appreciate that. That's a hot take. I can't. I've been feeling a little burnt out as well with the. I mean, this is ironic coming the eve before um, Wheel of Time season two comes out. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I was really, really not impressed with season one of Wheel of Time. So that, I'm afraid that one 
kind of crushed my hopes and dreams oh, yeah. for adaptions in a, in a really big way. Since I, I'm a massive fan of the Wheel of Time series, and I was really looking forward to to seeing something like that. And yeah, and, we, and then we get and then we get the show we've got, and it turns out that the show writer isn't actually interested in the existing story at all. He just wants to do his fanfic series where Maureen's the main character instead. Yeah, I could see that. The the one hope I have is still that Sanderson has enough like fu money that he's able to just do what he wants with it. So, not with Wheel of Time, but with uh with his whatever stuff. series he yeah I think with San- Sanderson would be able to get get away with that because he he's a got fu money and b yeah. he's alive. So <laughs> yeah. it's a lot harder to do these these kinds of complete steamroller over the existing story adaptions when the when the writers not in the coffin already yeah i see that okay since you're a big wheel of time fan i've been wanting to ask this question but i don't want to i don't want to spoil wheel of time for anyone so in just like real vagaries was the end of alex Varis at all inspired by what happens at the wheel of time with with one character no. Do you know what I'm trying to hint at? I know what you're hinting at, but no, the Wheel of Time did influence the book, the Alex Ferris series, but it wasn't in that. It was in much earlier stuff. The, in the Wheel of one of the concepts you have in the Wheel of Time is they have what what the characters in the Wheel of Time oh. call vacuoles, which are sort of little uh, little tiny pocket realities pocket of, separated yeah. from. Oh from, right, uh, yeah, sure. The uh, shadow realms. realms. That, that was one of the so that was one of the influences I I had in in the bubble realms the whole sort of alternate the way Wheel of Time does alternate and parallel realities was uh, was something that influenced Alex Ferris and uh, elsewhere in Alex Ferris has got some elements in common uh, with television yeah. in Wheel yep. of Time definitely that yeah that's on the nose I should have been able to come up with that one <laughs> also, also I think one of you guys might have guessed it but. The bubble realm in fall in burned the one that Alex goes into with the special ops team to to try and retrieve that ring. Ring mm-hmm. that was that was fairly strongly influenced by the the ways from the wheel of time. Mm. Interesting, nice. Yeah, I think I yeah. do remember talking. Yeah, some actually. What that I remember, I one of you guys actually specifically commented on that. That that was one just because I always thought the ways were one of the the best done aspect of the Wheel of Time. They were just sort of amazingly creepy, and it's a, and a, a really and a really good example of they really good example of one of those things where, in theory, it gives you this extremely powerful ability to fast travel and and cross the continent in an amazing sort of time. But after having been in there once, you can immediately see why nobody ever ever wants to go back there. <laughs> It's like okay, okay. In theory, we can use this to cross the, the across the the world really fast, but you have to be really, really <laughs> desperate to be willing to go back in there. <laughs> yeah, foundational series for us as well. It's fun to hear how much it influenced you. I, I think I think Robert Jordan was one of the best fantasy writers America ever produced. I can't think of any ones that are better off the top of my head. And it's interesting in that he's a he's a very specifically American one. I always thought in that the main three characters, Rand, Matt, and Perrin, are actually rather specific uh, uh, archetypes that you, that you get in, from from American popular culture, but not particularly mm-hmm. Europe, European. Hmm. Yeah, man, you have such such deep views into these things. I'm really inspired. I guess that's <laughs> what it takes to become an author, though. You know, you have to kind of understand things on a deeper level than most people think about. Well, cool. I think that is uh, that's a wrap for our interview with Benedict. Thank you so much for joining the show and for all the insights into your upcoming book and in uh, Alex Ferris. So I guess we're looking forward to October 5th or 10th for An Inheritance of Magic. And uh, I suppose people can just support by pre-ordering the book and all that. And it's available at all the usual places. Yeah, thanks for having me on, you guys. It's been really fun getting to talk to you. And thanks for the long series you did on the with with your Alex Ferris reviews. Oh, we we really enjoyed it. They've been, yeah. they've been what like you've done like seven ish of seven ish of these podcasts. I've lost track exactly how many there are, but 
it's always really as an author it's always really nice to find that readers are that interested that they're willing to invest that much time into yeah no we're always looking for new things to talk about (laughs) awesome thanks again for coming on welcome thanks guys thanks benedict see you later